We're continuing in our series on thinking biblically. We had been thinking biblically about who we collectively are in Christ. Last week, we began looking at who we are individually, who you are in Christ, and we continue with that today. We saw two weeks ago that we were dead yet alive. We had been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live, and we are alive. Today, we are going to see, as we read, that we are a new creature, a new creation. Have you ever wanted to start all over again and hopefully get it right the second time? Everyone who comes to Christ has that slate wiped clean and starts again as a new creature, a new creation in Christ. And that's what we're going to look at this morning, that you and I individually are new creations, new creatures in Jesus Christ. Our old person was dead, we saw, and a new person has been raised to walk in newness of life. As this new creature, we're going to see the old things have passed away and new things have come for each and every one of us who names the name of Jesus Christ. You are, this morning, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you have believed the true biblical gospel message that Christ died on the cross for our sins, that he was buried and raised again the third day, as the scriptures teach, and you have placed that faith and trust in him and him alone and what he's done for salvation, then you are born again. You are a new creature, a new creation in Jesus Christ. Paul writes this in verse 17, the central text of the passage that we read. Everything that comes before and after verse 17 focuses on verse 17. Therefore, if, if, and not everyone is, not everyone has trusted the biblical gospel message. They've trusted in man-made messages. They've trusted in their own efforts to please God by their good works, by their prayers, by their giving, by their church attendance. The if shows that not everyone is in Christ. Not everyone is that new creature. But if you have, then you, not just certain people, anyone who has trusted in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, has placed their faith and trust for salvation and eternal life in him and him alone, then everyone is a new creature who has placed that faith and trust in Christ. It's not reserved for just some. It's anyone who is, in fact, in Christ. If you've done that, you are a new creature. You're not the old person that you used to be. You have ch changed. You have been transformed. Sure, you still may struggle from time to time with sin. But you are a new creature. You're no longer to be ruled by that sin. That 
the old things that were part of your life that you enjoyed, that you took great pleasure in, the things that displeased God. Those things, those old things have passed away. They no longer have to be part of you. They no longer have to have their hold on your heart, on your life. They don't need to control you. The scripture says they have passed away. And behold, in their place, new things have come. A new desire. New desires. A new purpose. New goals. A new message. A new life story. Everything has changed. Things which you wanted no part of before, which had no part in your life. Now, that is what you love. That is what you aim for. That's what you look forward to each day. The new things. The relationship with God and Christ that you never had before. A new desire to speak to him. To hear him speak to you through his word. New things have come. The old things have all passed away. You are a new creation in Christ. And in the rest of the verses coming before and after it, we are going to see what the characteristics are of someone who is a new creation, a new creature living in Jesus Christ. What are the new things that have come? Let's begin looking at those. We are a new creation with a new ambition. Before, our ambition might have been to hit the lottery, Powerball, the big one. It may have been to get a promotion at work. It may have been to, to catch the eye of that special someone, uh, get married and live happily ever after. Uh, the ambition could have been for a lot of things, power, prestige. But now we have as our ambition the driving force and factor in our life. What drives us forward and onward each day? That new drive, that new desire, that new ambition, that new goal that we focus on is simply to be pleasing to him. First and foremost, above everything else in our life. Our ambition as a new creation ought to be to be pleasing to him. The only reason why the believer in Christ does anything is to be pleasing to him. Right and proper, it is to be pleasing to him. When young people want to go through premarital counseling, or they tell me they want to get married, what I tell them is there is one reason and one reason only, one primary reason and one primary reason only to be married. And that's because you will be more pleasing to God together as a couple than either of you as single individuals. This is the overriding ambition of the Christian life, to be pleasing to him. Maybe you never thought about it in that way. It's so simple. Now, how we go about being pleasing to him, we're going to see. It's going to have a lot to do with obedience and a number of other things. 
But this is the ultimate goal of this life, of the life of a believer in Christ. It's to be pleasing to him. A little help, please. Next slide, please. Now, God knows, Christ knows that as much as the Lord has done for us on the cross, that sometimes our gratitude and our appreciation for what he has done is not enough to drive us forward, not enough for living a life that's pleasing to him to be our ultimate ambition. So God gives every believer in Christ an incentive to be pleasing to Christ. That incentive is that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. It's a rendezvous with destiny. The unsaved will have their own rendezvous at the end of Christ's eternal, uh, his millennial kingdom, before the eternal state. There they will stand before the great white throne. The believer stands before the judgment seat of Christ. A different seat, not a throne. It's the place of judgment that the judges in an athletic competition, in the ancient Greek games, they loved their athletics, and they had a judgment seat where the judges would sit and watch the competition and ensure that everyone was competing according to the rules. And they would pass judgment on whether or not that individual actually won or whether they violated the rules. This is the judgment seat. It's not the great white throne. Christ, on his judgment seat, will repay will recompense each one, repay, reward each one for his deeds. Not his sins, his deeds. The believer's sins have been dealt with at the cross of Jesus Christ. They'll be recompensed for their deeds in the body, what we've done while we are alive, whether good or worthless. Now, the best way in this context to translate that final word from the original Greek language that Paul wrote in, is worthless. This word was also used of excrement. No value. Whether we've done something good or worthless. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 to 15, Paul talks about this as well. The good he likens to gold, silver, and precious stones. The worthless to wood, hay, and stubble. And he pictures the judgment of Christ as a fire that tests the quality of what we have done. The fire will not touch the gold, silver, and precious stones, but it will easily burn up and leave nothing but ash of the wood, hay, and stubble. That's the worthless. It has no real value compared to gold, silver, and precious stones. Our incentive is to be pleasing to him because we have this rendezvous with destiny. We all will appear before him. We are a new creation in Christ, a new creature with a new fear. 
Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. Now, we've learned before that the fear of the Lord has to do with the hatred of evil. Uh, Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. We learn that that implies obedience. The fear of the Lord was a Jewish expression for obedience to God's commands. Here, the fear of the Lord is also involved with the judgment seat of Christ. Therefore, knowing that we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, knowing that, therefore, because of that, there is the fear of the Lord, a fear of that judgment that drives us to hate evil and to be obedient to him. So we have this new fear. Before you were saved, you didn't have this fear of the Lord, this desire to hate evil. We loved evil. We didn't have this desire to be obedient to him. But now we do. We weren't concerned with future judgment. We were just going to live our life how we wanted to now. But now we recognize that we have this rendezvous with destiny. Knowing this fear of the Lord, what do we do? We persuade men. And Paul is going to go on and tell us exactly how we do that. We're a new creation with a new controlling influence. Before the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is what drove us, what controlled us, what influenced us. Here, as a new creature, we have a new controlling influence for the love of Christ controls us. Understand this as Christ's love for us, not our love for him. It's his love for us that controls us. Paul says immediately after the words control us, he speaks about the cross where Christ displayed his love. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all. The focus is on Christ's love here. See, we have this incentive that we will have to appear before him, but far better than the reward far better than the fear of judgment and loss of reward is the gratitude and appreciation of all that Christ has done for you and I who have believed in him. That love is what controls us. It's an expression of appreciation and gratitude that controls us. This is what should drive us appreciation and gratitude that one died for all, that Jesus Christ died in our place on the cross. We're a new creation with a new life purpose. And he died for all so that they who live, the believer in Christ, might no longer live for themselves. That's what we used to do, wasn't it? We used to live for ourselves. What do I want to do today? What do I uh, want to have? Where do I want to go? What do I want to engage in? I, 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 I. The Christian life removes the I. It's Christ, Christ, Christ in place of the I. So that we no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died and rose again on our behalf. 
the gratitude, the appreciation drives us to live for him. It's a new purpose in life. We should be asking ourselves each day, in each situation, multiple times a day, in every circumstance, how can I live for Christ? How can I conduct myself? What can my words be like, my attitudes, my actions, my thoughts, my desires, so that they are focused on Christ, so that I'm living for him, so that I'm like Christ. Jesus Christ said, I do always those things that please the Father. And in response, what did the Father say? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Do you want the Father to be well pleased in you? Then do always those things that please him. Do not live for yourself. Live for him. Consider him as you go about your daily lives each day, making decisions, deciding what you should do. If you have to go to work tomorrow morning, go to work for him. Be pleasing to him at work. Live for him. If you're going shopping, if you're engaging in a hobby or a pastime, if you're relaxing, you do it to it. be pleasing to him. You live, you relax, you, you engage in a hobby, uh, you work, you sleep, you eat. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, Paul will write. We do it for him. It transforms the way we think. We look at everything from a new perspective. And that shouldn't be surprising because we are a new creature in Christ. And so there's this new perspective. And we do it for him who died and rose again on our behalf. He did so much for us. He asked so little from us. We're a new creation with a new responsibility. It doesn't come without something that Christ specifically is expecting of us. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Reconciling just means to make peace between. Uh, if a husband and wife are having an argument and then uh, they both come to their senses and, and they ask each other to forgive, forgive them uh, and they uh, uh, make peace between themselves, that is reconciling, making peace. The scripture says, Paul writes in Colossians, that he made peace through the blood of his cross. That's what made peace between us and God, the blood of Christ's cross, his death on the cross. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, and he has, and here's our responsibility, he's committed to us, not to just to me, not just to the elders of the church, not just to the deacons, not just to those who lead ministries, but he is committed to each and every believer in Christ. He's committed to you. The word of reconciliation, the gospel of peace, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the prince of peace, the one who made peace through the blood of his cross. He is committed to each and every believer in Christ, the word of reconciliation. 
This commitment is a new responsibility. When we commit something to someone, when we charge someone and we entrust someone with something, we don't want our trust to be misplaced. We trust them because we hope that they will follow through faithfully with what we've committed or entrusted to them. So to hear, God and Christ have entrusted to us the word of reconciliation, the word of peace, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. How are you and I doing with that commitment? It's going to be made very clear in the following verses and slides precisely what that word of reconciliation is, that it is the gospel, and who we are because of being entrusted with this word of reconciliation. We're a new creation in Christ, a new creature with a new message. That message is before we boasted about ourselves. We boasted about our accomplishments. We boasted about our good fortune in life. The things that happened to us, the good things. Paul writing to the Corinthians says, may it be that I never boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are a new creation with a new message that God has committed to us. You know, if we need someone to carry a message, hey, would you tell so-and-so something for me? We want that person to be trustworthy, that they will follow through and relay that message, and that they will relay it accurately, what we want to communicate. But we have this new message because we're a new creature. God was in Christ reconciling the wor world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. That's the message, the gospel message of Jesus Christ that God was in Christ reconciling the world, making peace with the world, and that peace is there for them. If they would repent of their sins, humble themselves, confess themselves a sinner in need of a Savior, and call out to Jesus Christ to save them. The Scripture says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is our new message, the word of reconciliation that our sins do not have to be held against us because of what Christ did on the cross. We have a new role as a new creation. We are now ambassadors for Christ. Think about that word ambassador. We know what it is. Ambassadors are government officials of a national government. And they are sent to foreign countries or to the United Nations to represent the United States to represent the United States accurately, to represent what the leader of the United States wants them to represent. But you and I are not worldly ambassadors. We're not merely an ambassador of the United States of America. As great as that might be, to have a position like that, that pales. That ambassadorship pales in comparison to the ambassador that we are in Christ. We represent him. Ambassadors deliver the message of the president or prime minister of a country. We deliver the message of the king of kings and lord of lords. 
the God who created everything. We are his ambassadors. We are no longer ambassadors for ourselves, to sell ourselves, to try to appear uh, better than we are. Instead, we are ambassadors who speak the word of truth to make Christ appear as wonderful as he truly is. We have this new role. We're a new creation with new words. We are ambassadors as though God were making an appeal through us. Imagine that. When we share the gospel and when we live our life, God is making an appeal through us. It's as if God is speaking through us to the world, that his light should shine out from our heart, from our lives. It's as if he is making an appeal through us. That's very similar to the Old Testament prophets. The word of the Lord was in their mouth. What that meant was the exact words that the Lord God would say to his people, those were the words coming out of the prophet's mouth. No deviation. Here, it's almost as if we are like those Old Testament prophets. God is making an appeal through us by how we live, and particularly in this passage, by how we speak the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what is that appeal that God wants to make to each individual that you and I encounter? We beg you on behalf of Christ. We entreat you. We urge you. We beseech you. We beg you. Be reconciled to God. Be at peace with God through the blood of Jesus Christ's cross. These are our new words. Would we ever say that before we were a new creature? Confess yourself a sinner, fall at Christ's feet, cry out to him for salvation, and he will save you? We didn't even believe that ourselves. We never would make that appeal to anyone else, but now... As a new creature, we have these new words. Be reconciled to God. And you can do that through the gospel of Jesus Christ, the blood of his cross. What is the content of those new words? Our brother Tom, when he led us in worship at the Lord's Supper, at the communion feast, referenced this verse. This is the content of those new words that we utter. We beg you to be reconciled to God because God made him. God made. It's not a man-made gospel. The, the biblical gospel of Jesus Christ humbles man. There's none righteous, not even one, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's humbling. It removes all human pride. It negates all human effort. There's nothing you and I could ever do in and of ourselves to make ourselves worthy of God's salvation, of God's heaven, of eternal life. God made the true gospel. No man or woman would write 
that gospel message. It's been said by another that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not something that man would write if he could, nor could write if he would. We don't desire to write a story that humbles us completely, shows us to be spiritually bankrupt, spiritual paupers, with not even a widow's might to offer God for our salvation. It humbles us so badly, we would never write such a story. The Greeks created gods in their own image, like man, with all the sin of man. Our God isn't like that. When he writes a story, not a fictional story, a true story, a story about himself, it humbles man and it exalts him because in God alone is salvation. It begins with God. It comes from God. It glorifies God. The content of the gospel that he made is that God himself made him Jesus Christ, who knew no sin. Peter says of Christ, he did no sin. Paul says he knew no sin. John says in him there was no sin. Sin is totally foreign and separate to the person of Jesus Christ. He was God's lamb without spot, without blemish, without sin that was offered for the sin of the world. Just like the Jews could only offer a Passover lamb who was without spot and without blemish. God made Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, on the believer's behalf, on behalf of everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ for salvation. For what purpose? That we might become the righteousness of God in him as a new creature. In Christ, your standing before God is a righteous standing. He imputes or charges everyone in Christ with no sin. He says, in their sins and their lawless deeds, I will call to mind no more. I will remember no more. That's not divine Alzheimer's. That is an act of his will. He will not call our sins to mind and hold them against us. He will never charge us with them because Christ has borne them on the cross, shed his blood, and died. The content of that message that we utter to others, that we beg others to believe as ambassadors of Christ, is that God made Christ, who knew no sin, to become sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The righteousness of God, that's how he wants us to live in obedience to him. Not for salvation, not to earn salvation, not to merit salvation, not to work for salvation, but as evidence of the salvation that we already have as a new creature in Christ. So this morning, what are you thinking about who you are in Christ? Are you thinking biblically? about being a new creature in Christ? Are you thinking about having a new ambition that controls all of your life? Today, will you begin to see yourself as God's ambassador? He has entrusted a message 
that he wants each and every one of us to deliver to the world. And that message is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every single one of us here this morning is God's ambassador. Would you pray each morning that God might give you an opportunity, an open door to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with someone? If he provides the opportunity, by all means, share the gospel. Have some tracks ready if that's all you feel you can do. But see yourself as God's ambassador. Because as we saw, every single believer in Christ is his ambassador and has been committed, entrusted with the word of reconciliation. Today, will you begin to live a life that is pleasing to him by sharing your faith? That was the primary focus of these verses, was to share our faith as ambassadors. There's other aspects to the Christian life. We should live by the power of the Holy Spirit, a holy life that is pleasing to him. But the focus here was being an ambassador who shares the message that God would want to speak through you, making an appeal to be reconciled to God and Christ. Let's pray. Father, uh, how we thank you for the gospel message, the most precious message we've ever heard. We thank you for giving us ears to hear it. We thank you for giving us eyes to see the glories and beauties of Christ in the gospel. We thank you for drawing us to yourself and for saving us gloriously for your name's sake. Oh, dear God, we confess to you that it is not always our ambition to live pleasing to you, and it's to our own shame that we need to confess that after all you've done for us, how can we do less than to give you our best and to live for you completely? God, remind us always that one day we will stand before our Lord to be judged. Help us to be sober-minded regarding that truth and to take it to heart. And may we be changed by it. Lord, we would ask that you would give us in the coming days more and more opportunity to share our faith. Give us opportunities to have our light shine and then to share that light with others. We pray that you would be pleased to do this, and we ask for the holy boldness and courage to let others know, whether it be through a track or through the gospel spoken by us, to let others know that they too can be a new creature and have peace with God and Christ through the gospel. Help us to do this, we pray. We desire to do it for your glory and your name's sake. Amen.